Hey there, listeners. Long time no talk, but it will be a lot of talking because today we just got a little two-hander. But uh, we'll get to that. First of all, let's cover all the news that I haven't covered since 191. And there's been a lot. As always, we kick it off with Tina Ola's continued work on crowdfunding Chronicles. She had two new games to cover for us. The first is Whateverland, which uh, is a Burton-esque looking adventure game graphic novel that has a lot of style and looks really compelling. The other thing she covered is Coven Path of Redemption. And if you loved your Baldur's Gates and... Uh, other CRPGs of the day, uh, this might be up your alley, because it's looking like a neat, retro, isometric looking kind of game. Continuing into the rest of the features department, we started off with a review by Des Miller with the producer and game designer of Brigandine, The Legend of Runeseria. So if you want to see what Kuzuhiro Igarashi had to say on the entire process behind this uh, rejuvenation of the series, uh, definitely give it a read. Some really great questions and uh, some compelling answers in there. It's, yeah, just a great read. Uh, Another incredibly well-thought-out read is uh, Joe Padilla's feature, To the Top, Virginia and Disunity. Very topical, a very important read, in my opinion, as, I don't know, Joe gets to the heart of a lot of things. They have just such a great mind for features, so please give it a read and see if you might gather the same kind of uh, lessons, I guess, from the game Virginia. And now we pretty much round things out with a whole pile of reviews, like, a lot. We've a lot of games (laughs) that we've reviewed over the past few weeks. So uh, yeah, let's get into that. I'm going to kick it off with Alana Hags' review of If Found, which is a visual novel graphic adventure from Dreamfeel. And it looks neat. Like the the style of this game is is really, it stands out. Like it's it's a really cool way to tell the story. And she has a lot of good to say about it. So check the game out, check out a review, see if you want to add this to your collection. Alana was also keeping busy back in the world of Pokemon. She went back to the Galar region and the Isle of Armor expansion for Pokemon Sword and Shield. And it's more of the same. It's not without its flaws. But uh, yeah, if you you wanted more Pokemon Sword and Shield, then you got it with this. And hey, we just talked about this. Brigandine the Legend of Runeseria, Des Miller also was the one who reviewed the game for us. And again, this looks like a great return to the Brigandine series. Uh, again, not without its flaws, but it's uh, it's it's looking pretty sweet on the Switch. And uh, yeah, if you need another strategy RPG, this might be a great one for you. We talked about it on uh, episode 191. The Outer Worlds was ported over to the Switch uh, with less than great uh, results. But uh, John Tucker did brave that one for us and overall still had a great time with it, despite uh, the graphical issues that plague this port. And hey, a review by me, Pillars of Dust, was a cool little retro game that I got to get my hands on that comes from um, retro games, retro in the French way, um, which is not a real thing, but whatever. It's a cool traditional RPG if you just want like a little, nice little retro experience that's uh, pretty contained. This is a good one to dive into. Did you know Persona 4 Golden got ported? We sure did. Bob Richardson was the one to review that for us even though I know many people on the staff were quite excited to get into this port. And overall, uh, it's a port. He says it holds up rather well, but it's got some dated issues, which is understandable given when it originally released. So yeah, moving right along. We're almost there. Death Come True was another visual novel that Alana Hags dove into. Uh, this graphic adventure comes from Tokyo Games. And again, uh, if you're wanting a neat little... Uh, FMV graphic adventure, Uh, this will be the one for you. Check it out. Overall, seems like a pretty fun game. 
The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3 got ported over to the Switch, and it's a, a great port, apparently. Audra Bowling gave it RPG Fan Editor's Choice. That's how solid it's holding up. And uh, on to the next thing, which is Story of Seasons Friends of Mineraltown, which comes from a new reviewer on the team, Nikki Fakuri. She had a preview a few weeks back, and if you missed that, the full review is up. It's a fun little return to a classic, what was once Harvest Moon and is now Story of Seasons game. Uh, I, for one, loved it on the PS1. We also did a video review of it, which gave me an excuse to go and play it for that as well. So uh, check out the review and see if this is a fun farming experience to return to. Her Story, the game that we always wanted to talk about on the podcast when we finally did it a few episodes back. John O'Logan's review went live of Her Story, a great FMV um, graphic adventure. He gave it RPG Fan Editor's Choice, and like he said on the podcast, it's a great experience of a game, so check that out. Boxy Quest The Gathering Storm was reviewed by Neil Chandran, which uh, just, <laughs> it's weird that we got this, but he said its uh, it was a lot of fun, even if it has uh, some limited appeal. Overall, he found it to be a surprising game, and it's a, a neat little RPG maker game, so if that's your style, go dive into this one. And finally, Minecraft Dungeons. We got that a while back too, and uh, it's just a great little loot hack apparently that is uh, all kinds of fun. And finally, we round things out with a music review of Epoch, a tribute to Chrono Trigger. In a strange twist, this one does not come from Patrick Gann, it's actually done by our fearless leader Mike Salbato. And it is just, yeah, a beautiful collection of uh, from the Material Collective, so you know it's going to be a great series of arrangements. Give that album a check, and uh, otherwise enjoy listening, because there's a lot of great music on there. And that's it. That was a lot. Thank you for sticking with me. Or, you know, or not. Maybe you just skipped ahead. You do you. Anyways, on to our next episode, which is now 193 of Random Encounter. Hey there, listeners. It's me. Yeah, we're back again. It's me and Jono, and just me and Jono. So, Jono, say hi to the people, Jono. Hey, everyone. There we go. Uh, it's a short little episode uh, this week. Just kind of, we've had a lot going on, and we just figured we'll pick up and catch back up since Jono and I have basically been on a nice little break for like the better part of a month. So, um, I have no idea what happened. I just blacked yeah. out, and all of a sudden there was another random episode posted with a group of really awesome people. All these weird strangers are coming to do a better job than we did. But no, uh, on that note, yeah, Joe, you did a fantastic job of uh, hosting things uh, on the presumption that you are listening. Maybe Joe only listens to episodes that they host. I don't know when they're on. But no, Joe, they did a great job. Uh, and everybody, all the guests who came on, just some really great conversation. We've been getting some really great feedback from it. And I'm so glad that listeners have been just so great about giving us the feedback on that and uh, that everyone was so willing to come on and talk about their experiences um, in the gaming community. Uh, with regards to the LGBTQ plus community conversation. So thank you so much for having that combo, folks, and uh, giving us a break. <laughs> this is something we might do in the future, too, a few mm-hmm. more times. Uh, we really, really like how it turned out. We thought it was a amazing conversation, and uh, that kind of thing should happen more often. 
Yeah. As I said to everybody, like anything, uh, anyone that wants to bring forward uh, more voices that uh, aren't us two white dudes talking, I am all for on this podcast. So we want to I mean, we love talking. We love talking. But <laughs> what white male can't... doesn't? Exactly. Um. <laughs> but we, but we, uh, we can shut up. If the if the need calls for it, we can mm-hmm. we can quiet ourselves down. Yeah, so we want to bug uh, Steph, get her back on with Ladies Night. Uh, we'll want to get some more folks back on to talk more um, with Joe, probably running uh, another episode, uh, and we'll see what other representation our vast staff members um, bring to the table. Because yeah, the more voices we can get on here that offer differing opinions from ours, I'm all for. So thank you everyone once again for listening to that. And uh, being so great and open with it all. And for uh, myself, I like I said, I appreciated the break. And um, I was on vacation, I guess, as that was kind of going up. Which is funny, because I was already in vacation mode and I forgot, like, right, I need to post that. It's so easy when I did none of the work on it to forget that I still had to do some work on it. So um, I realized, like, right, I need to post. I need to get a, a title from Joe and a little breakdown. Anyways, we got it up. Uh, our fearless leader, Mike Salvato, helped post it up while I was on the road to Alberta, going through the Rockies where um, reception wasn't great. So that was pretty good. Uh, and what did you do with your little vacation time off from the podcast, Jono? Oh, pretty much the same thing I do all the time, which is... Try to take over the world. Oh, that would be lovely because it would give me something to do. Um, no, the last few the last few days and uh, the days have really lost all of their meaning and the Weeks have lost most of their meaning, and the months too, and we'll see how the rest of the year goes. I'm really excited, though, because <laughs> next week, uh, my partner and I were going to the cottage, which is something that we do every year. Uh, we're going up there <laughs> that for a It sounded like it was in um, quotations. The cottage. <laughs> we're going to the cottage. Um, <laughs> yes, it did sound slightly ominous. <laughs> yeah, it did. I'm um, like, what is, what's the cottage? <laughs> um, it's a little shack, which is really nice. Um, which so, yeah, we nice. go. Yeah, so we go up there every year, and uh, I guess because the last few months have been so strange, and I'm still not entirely, even though we've been living in this for months now, I'm still not entirely used to it, because I mean, it's, you know, I'm in my usual environment, but it's a strange situation going on. So I'm really excited to get to the cottage where, realistically speaking, we're going to be alone in the woods. It's not like we're going to see any more people, but because we do it every single year, it's going to be nice to have a week where... There's a air of normality about it, if that makes sense. I get that. And you don't have to overthink a lot of your interactions and such, too, which is great. Because also, I don't know where the cottage is, but for my rela- uh, to relate my story to, like where we just went, it was just a world of good just to have a different um, setting to be in. So uh, my partner, Annette, she has her family homestead is in um, rural Alberta, where they've been since uh, 18... 72, I think is it's one of like the first like farms established in that area. Anyway, beautiful track of land, nice little old farm that now is more or less just a, a family gathering point more than anything. And then they rent out the land and such. They have horses and cows and stuff on it. And it's cool to go and explore and explore. We did. But yeah, it's nice just to have the change of pace and scenery. And in that specific area, like in and around there, they don't have a lot of cases of COVID-19. So a lot of people it's a very different change of pace and if anything we were more concerned to make sure we weren't bringing anything with us Mm. but it was it was much more easier just to kind of feel a bit more relaxed not that we went into town or anything at all but when her family and stuff came to visit us on the farm 
um, it was a lot easier just to be like, oh, these are people we can hug. These are people we can, uh, you know, expand our, our boundaries a bit more with. And like Gwen's able to interact with people. And so it was nice in that regard. That does sound really, really lovely. And I learned how to play cornhole. Uh, we beat the ladies. So, haha, take that. Uh, and I have lost no terribly. idea what you're talking about at all. <laughs> it's essentially like a beanbag thing. Um, where it's like throwing the beanbag into the hole thing. Kind of like um, oh. the, almost like the slider thing, but just from a certain, I think it's like 30 foot distance or something like that. And if you land it on the, the plank of wood, it's you get a point. But if you can get it in the hole, it's three points. And then the other team can obviously match shot for shot. And so you can break even and nobody gets points. And it goes to like 21. And then it's like classic board game rules where you have to make like the exact roll. So you have to hit exactly 21. Whereas if you go over, you have to go back to your previous score until you mm. can actually match. So it was fun. But it's we like got a cross it. between beanbags, bowling, and well, blackjack and skeeball and blackjack, and yeah, exactly. Yep. And so that was a lot of fun. And that blames on the fact that we're playing in the morning, so no one was drinking. So she's like, "I just didn't have a beer in my hand." That's why she was shorthanded, because traditionally, usually that's how it works. <laughs> but it we did like lose kind terribly of lawn bowling or not lawn bowling, uh, bocce ball. That's the one. Bocce ball. What's the difference? Bocce ball. Um, it's more like curling. Okay. Uh, in the sense of it's like it's like lawn bowling with curling so there's like a little white ball that you throw and then each team has four throws to see who will land closest to the ball and then they score for that round and then you okay throw it 30 feet away again and then go again so we I did okay but played uh, this before yeah it was fun a few years ago my uh one of my best friends from theater school his partner uh now his wife uh, he always wanted to do to go to lawn bowling. He he always wanted to lawn bowl. So for his birthday, she it's got deceptively bun- fun. Yeah, uh, she got a bunch of friends together, and we went lawn bowling. And it was somewhere in Toronto, and it was everyone who worked there was British uh, and old, um, and they were all they were very very lovely, and they seemed very entertained by all of us because we were like all in our uh, late twenties. And uh, it was a lovely time. I discovered that my bowling abilities do not translate well over to lawn bowling, however. (laughs) I'd I'd be so long I forget exactly how it plays, but it's fairly similar, right? Yeah, it is. But I mean, the thing about about bowling, I mean, I... Little bit of trivia about me. Back when I was a teenager, I was uh, was like a league bowler uh, in Nova Scotia, and... uh, I was, I, without, without any modesty, I was very, very good at it, which it probably explains why I'm so good at that mini game in Yakuza. Um, and I, it's, it's a different game. It's, it's small ball. Like the balls are, uh, yeah, they're, they're a little small. They're smaller. They're about the size of a little bit bigger than a softball, uh, just as heavy as a regular one. And the pins are candlesticks. So instead of being like bottles, they, they are like capered on either ends and get a little bit fatter in the middle. Um, and, uh, I, this is the bowling I grew up with and I'm, you know, I'm very, very good at it. And then I I came to Ontario and discovered that if I threw the ball, I would likely go with the ball, um, because they're so friggin' big. And that's kind of the norm. I had no idea that bowling was any different, uh, anywhere else in Canada or the United States than it was in Nova Scotia. That's interesting, actually. Yeah. But anyway, the point is that surprisingly few people who are former league bowlers, it's weird. Yeah, the the point is that back the point of bowling is you throw the ball as hard as you can to try to knock as many pins over as you can. But if you try to throw the ball as hard as you can when you're lawn bowling, you're going to go way past the goal. So or the the point, I can't remember what it's called right, exactly. Yeah. But there's also yeah. a lot more friction to deal with than the regular bowling. So 
Anyway. Yeah, so so my aim would be impeccable, but the ball would just like sail past where it was supposed to go. <laughs> That's still fun though. We did yeah. a yeah, an Ontario Youth Parliament. I think is when I was introduced to it. We did like an old school theme night for one of our like cabinet meetings. We had, hmm. the cabinet meeting weekends were always like getaways at a, at a host city, and then there's usually an activity on like the Saturday night. And I think one of the activities was um, go lawn bowling. So we're all like a bunch of people dressed up in whatever they could find at old at uh, like secondhand stores and Argyle and whatever else. And we went lawn bowling, and yeah, we were definitely the youngest people per capita at that moment in that place so <laughs> it was a good time sounds lovely right but yeah getting out uh is is important if you have the opportunity to do that while you're still in isolation uh go somewhere and do it safely you know don't don't go to disney world um i cannot <laughs> imagine going to disney world right now and it's open it's Ugh. wide open what i mm, mm, anyways that's a whole be, different okay. discussion but there's to, lots of poor be, choices being made out there yeah, to be fair, when Disney did decide to open it, things were looking great. And that's why, like, all the sports teams and everyone were looking at Florida and thinking, oh, we're going there. That's the place to to have our have our games and theme parks and stuff like that. And that that turned into uh, a difficult situation for everyone. And, I mean, I will grant that I'm sure, just like most places, they're doing everything they can to make it as clean and good as possible. The fact that it's outside does help. And if everyone's wearing masks, it actually could be a pretty cool time. Just unfortunately, there is a lot of people who are still being very stubborn about the whole mask thing. So I don't know if I would want to chance it. Well, I think that Disney, I think there, I think there is mask, uh, mandatory masks at Disney World. Oh, good. Because, I mean, they, that's just, if you don't wear a mask, they'll just kick you out. That's the nice thing about Disney. It's its own good, little good. country within Florida. Um, actually, yeah. it is, it's its own little, uh, municipality, actually. Um, I've been watching, a, a, like a guilty pleasure of mine is to watch, uh, I have a huge part. I'm a huge fan of theme park history, and just out of curiosity, I was watching some of the the usual vloggers and stuff like that uh, who were invited to Disney's uh, first opening day, and it's really strange to see because when you picture Disney, the place is packed. Like yep. there's just yeah, and in this case, like it, it it looks empty. It looks like it looks like a like a almost a ghost town. Like there's people there, and like the ride wait on rides is like. 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes to get on like the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's just unheard of. It'd be so great for um, Smuggler's Run. Yeah. So, I mean, if you yeah, pretty much. So if you hate lines, I guess that it's a fantastic time to go to Disney. Um, I I don't like lines, but I, I, I like them a heck of a lot more than getting COVID-19. Um, yeah. That's it, right? It's just not worth it. But yeah, also, also, I expect a lot of their attractions are closed. I mean, yeah, like the rides and things like that. But there are a lot of in there are a lot of uh, shows inside there. So I, I think they still have the limits on uh, gatherings in spaces. So which is a good plan. So again, like it, it could be okay, but it's just you know your mileage may vary. Yeah, I I mean I hope that I hope it's safe. I think the uh-huh. only, I think the only parks open right now are Disney World and uh, Animal Kingdom. I don't think gotcha. that I don't think that uh, Disney Studios or Epcot or or any of the water parks are open yet. Oh, gotcha. Which makes sense. I mean, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole thing. Yeah, we uh, we uh, we we've caught up, and uh, that's it for today's episode. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. No, um, we we played video games. That happened. Uh, <laughs> we do still do that here at RPG Fan. Get out of town, right? Uh, we've had some recent releases. We've had some stuff that people have gone back to play. Uh, Jono, you dipped way back into March for one of the games you played today. 
Well, not today, but you know what I mean. Talking about today. There we go. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a game that came out in March that uh, I was. It, it's a game that's it's like it was tailor made for me um, because I love Ace Attorney and I love Picross and Murder by Numbers is both. It's uh, it's a puzzle virtual novel sort of thing. It's the ninety, and your main character is Honor, and she's the uh, co-star of a TV show called uh, Murder Miss Terry, and it's a it's a murder investigative show, and she is fired uh the the producer calls calls her up to his office and fires her without any kind of explanation rude and uh, yeah very rude and then she leaves and minutes later he's found dead in his office um oh, and no. we don't know why yeah so the police show up and you know they're they're talking to everyone and she wants to know what happened and she wants to have her own investigation uh meanwhile completely independent of this a small flying robot who looks like a who looks like a monitor uh flies up to her and uh says that uh, says that the robot is looking for a detective um because it needs it wants to figure out its origins so the two of them go off on this adventure together where they they investigate various crimes first the producer's murder and then other crimes on top of that and try to figure out where this little robot came from named scout um and that's it and it's a very it's a it's not the heaviest game in the universe although it does there are some heavy themes but the point is it's inspired strongly by ace attorney um in terms of the style even the even like the the sound effects like when the 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 dialogue is coming across the screen that did, 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 that's exactly what it is in uh in uh, murder and murder by numbers so it's a really good spin on it and the big difference of course is picross now have you ever done picross greg i haven't actually i mean i my closest I've gotten to is like a lot of free demos and stuff that were big when the DS and the 3DS were in their prime, like the Pokemon Picross and stuff like that. But I never actually dabbled in it. Yeah, I, uh, I very, very much got him. Like I had, I bought copies of every single one that came out in the DS and the 3DS. And I would, I would spend hours playing these things for some nerd. reason. Yeah. Huge nerd. For some reason, the concept <laughs> of Picross or Nonograms, I believe they're also called, uh, really clicks with me. I don't know why, you know, sometimes Certain kind of puzzles just really click with your brain, and these do. So the point is that every time you are investigating a scene, Scout scans the room, and whenever Scout sees something, his scanner has to identify it, and to identify it, you need to solve a Picross puzzle. Um, and that is an interest—it's an interesting mechanic, and uh, you know, it somewhat fits in the game. The characters and Scout, especially, are absolutely adorable, really well-rounded, and the game actually deals with a lot of uh, subject matter that Ace Attorney has never touched before, like uh, LGBTQ plus themes, uh, uh, emotional spousal abuse, um, things like that. And I was, well, yeah, I seeing know. as this is from the Hatful boyfriend crew, um, mm. I, I feel like touching on uh, never before touched on subjects is definitely in the wheelhouse. Mm. It uh, now that's not saying the game is perfect. In fact, I, I wrote a review for it. The review should be up pretty soon it might be up by the time this uh, this episode goes up or maybe not not sure um spoiler i liked it a lot because again it's like the game was meant for me it's a cross between ace attorney <laughs> and picross however i i i'm very aware in the review that if you don't love picross or you don't love ace attorney then this game might not be a game that clicks with you i think it's something rather special uh, i very much enjoyed it um 
but you know, your mileage may vary if you don't really like puzzle games. And there are some problems with it, like the puzzles oftentimes get in the way of the story, because early on, the puzzles are, there's, there's a really nice difficulty curve in terms of the puzzles. Like early on in the first chapter, the puzzles are pretty simple, uh, and uh, they, they gradually get harder as the, as the game progresses, as you'd hope. And then by the end of the game, you're dealing with some actually rather hard uh, 20 by 20 grid puzzles. And that's fine, but the problem is, early on, the puzzles take you like two, three, five minutes at most to beat. And then at the end of the game, they're taking you anywhere from like 15 to 20 minutes if you if you end up on a really, really hard puzzle. And if you're in the middle of a very tense moment in the story, like you're locked in a room and someone's coming banging on the door with a gun and they're going to shoot you, or you're locked in a burning... Uh, bathroom at one point in the game uh having to do a spend 20 minutes to do a pick cross puzzle all of a sudden in the middle of it sort of that's a big suspension of disbelief i guess yeah and there's no timer on it either like if there was a timer on uh certain kinds of puzzles there are there are when you're hacking that's another little mini game but like if there's if you're in a very dangerous situation you can take as long as you want um also a problem with that is when you switch over to the puzzle mode, the music changes and there are like three or four different puzzle themes, but all of them for the most part are kind of bouncy and happy. So if you're like in the middle of a really tense dramatic situation and you're you ask Scout to scan for a way out and scan and Scout sees a window and scans it and then it switches over to the happy bouncy music as you have to solve a pick cross in order to uh, in order to get out, it it kills the momentum of the story. That sounds like a fun sketch waiting to happen though. Yeah. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. I think I got this row. I think I got this row. Um, She's like, find us a way out of here. I did, but I can't tell you about it unless you solve this puzzle. He's like, gosh dang it, we're going to burn alive. (laughs) That's pretty much the game, actually. The game has a lot going for it in terms of its its story. It has one of the best opening... uh, There's a a theme song at the beginning of it because it's kind of themed after a bit of a 90s cartoon show. Um, Dope. Yeah, and there's a there's a classic like '90s style uh, theme song with an with an opening credits sequence uh, that starts up every single time you play the game, which really sets the stage nicely. Um, and the art looks great too, Link. It's it, a really yeah. lovely looking game. It is. Uh, the game uses almost paper cutouts instead of pixel art or anything like that. Uh, vaguely, it's not anime, but it's it's almost anime inspired. Yeah, it's a very Western anime style. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I was a I was a big, big, big fan of this game. Um, and I think that if you love puzzle games, if you love Picross, if you love doing um there's a really there's a YouTube channel that has broken through in the last couple of months since COVID nineteen started uh calling Cracking the Cryptid Cryptid, and it's just two guys solving uh puzzles. Um if you have ever watched that channel and you want to get some experience playing puzzles, I think that Murder by Numbers is a really accessible way to start playing uh, Picross. That sounds like yeah, a great combination of things. Uh, so it's not just simply just about the puzzles or just about the crime solving. It sounds like a good natural marriage. Um, yeah, how I, heavy is it on, I guess, the 90s nostalgia? It's pretty heavy on the 90s nostalgia. Like all the fashion obviously is... Uh, is very very 90s sitcom inspired um there are a lot of references in the first couple of chapters to the 90s that kind of make you know it's like it's like they're ribbing you and going yeah and remember this do you remember do you remember who uh this guy was or do you remember this show 
Um, and then that slowly starts to peter off as the game continues, which I don't mind at all. I find the problem with... I think I mentioned this in my uh, Yakuza 0 review a long time ago. Um, the problem with a lot of period pieces in games, movies, television set is that they seem to want to rib the audience and just like really, really point out that it's this decade. And for me, that kind of defeats the purpose of a period piece. If I'm watching a period piece, I want it to really feel like that, like that decade, like that place, um, instead of like winking at the audience and being yeah. like, yeah. The 80s weren't just busy being the 80s and saying, hey, remember that you're still in the 80s? Yeah. Like, no, you were just there. Like, and I get it, you know, they're trying to play on the nostalgia, but also how many gamers are going to get that nostalgia because there's a lot of much younger gamers than people who are around in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they handle it more like, say, um, Archer, the series, does with their references, yep. well, they'll just throw out stuff. They don't explain it. They make a reference, and it's up to you to go look it up if you want. Mm -hmm. But they're it's not just saying, like, just so you know, this was from the 80s. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I say this without loving the show, but, like, Mad Men is a really good example of how to do a period piece. Um, because they're, although they do like make a couple of inside jokes to what's coming in the future, it's never really there for the most part. It feels like you're genuinely watching that time in that place. Yeah. And it's just the time serves the story as opposed to the time just being there for, um, a plot device or like the, as the butt of a joke. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I, I feel like this game does that, uh, early on and then it starts petering off as the game continues and then it just starts becoming a, you know, an interesting, engaging story that happens to take place in the 1990s. And I mean, well, it has to, cool. it has to, because I mean, Scout yeah. is, Scout is a artificial intelligent, uh, robot with, that looks like a giant monitor on rockets, um, and has like an incredible amount of memory for the time, but you can't really put Scout next to an iPhone because Scout loses. So the only way you can really make the, make Scout look high tech and interesting is if you put it into a decade where cell phones were bricks. Yeah, I buy that. <laughs> mm -hmm. What was yeah, the I, name of that? Um, oh, the name of the, the monitor character that was in Planescape Torment makes me think I, of Nordom, who's a Modron. That's mm -hmm. right. They're the mechanical creatures from one of the outer planes. Anyways, he was, uh, yeah, it was giving me very Modron, sorry, Nordom vibes <laughs> of this, <laughs> again, little sentient, cutting edge, futuristic thing that now, yeah, would just be the equivalent of an old iMac. <laughs> mm -hmm. except a little bit less stylish that's kind of one of the things i like about scout is scout the design is uh i think the design is adorable because it kind of looks like a 90s computer monitor yeah uh, it's very function over form yeah it looks very 80s 90s as it is where everything was just a block mm -hmm. exactly um and actually there's a section in the game where i mean we've we had the uh lgbtq uh episode last week but this is a really, I think this is a great game that uses LGBTQ plus themes uh, in it without really drawing attention to it or pointing at it in places. Um, like they're just there and they're just people? Yeah, and the problem is that occasionally they will go into after school special mode where like someone will come along who doesn't, like there's a detective character and there's a, there's an entire section in So chapter, the guy that looks like Stan Lee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a section, I think it's the third chapter where uh, it's it, there's a lot of references to uh, drag uh, drag uh, pop culture from the 1980s, like 
um, someone drives a giant float shaped like a shoe into the side of a drag bar. Um, and I just watched up- that movie. Yeah. And, oh, you did? Uh, I'm assuming that's referencing um, Priscilla. The, the Priscilla, the Queen of the Desert. Yeah. Yeah. I I was an usher at the Princess of Wales Theater when, when Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical was there. I must have seen the oh, show. Oh, it's so fun. Oh, it's a great show. I that love it. But you get like it's like with any show. Eventually, you're just like your eyes are just falling out of your head because you've seen the show approximately forty-seven times. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Anyway, so you know there are there are drag characters in the show and it, in the show there are drag characters in the game, uh, and there are parts where you know the, the detectives like I don't know what to call them, and they have a little after-school special kind of conversation with the detective. And you know what? That's fine because it feels... I think those good. conversations do still need to happen at the moment. Oh, they absolutely do. Yeah. I just I just wish that the conversation, the dialogue was a little bit more organic. But at the same time, because it's kind of styled after a 90s cartoon show, it doesn't really bother me that much because 90s cartoon show if, had right. the more you know sort of sections. I, yeah, I buy that. And that I mean cool. that... Yeah, and there's like an entire section where Scout... Uh, has a conversation, you know, that up to that point, everyone's referring to Scout as he. And Scout says, I don't really, I don't really, that's not, I'm not a he, I'm not a she. I don't really have a, I don't really have a gender. And someone's like, well, we can refer to you as they and use like, and that's kind of from that point on, that's, those are Scout's pronouns. The binary speaking, non-binary character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's fun. Nice way to put it, actually. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's yeah. I, I again, like we're not fully at the place, and I'm again, I'm. We say this knowing we are probably not the right people to be saying this, but from my cisgendered point of view, uh, it seems like we're still at a place where yeah, the 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 more on the nose conversation of explaining it in games still needs to happen for, you know, for people to get what and how to speak about this subject matter because we're not at a place where it's just part of the normal lexicon. So I think it's good that it's there. And yeah, if it's framed in that whole 90s after school special, then you can get away with it. But I can understand, too, how it would come across a little clunky and heavy handed, depending on how it's thrown in there. But sometimes you just have to have that conversation of to take a step back and be like, let me explain this to you. But yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, though, in Murder by Numbers, uh, the, the main character, Honor, I mean, the game has really great diversity and Honor is a woman of color. Uh, her mother's in the game. There are a lot of different... It, there's, a, there's a lot of diversity in the cast. Um, Honor's ex-husband is a uh, fairly high-powered Hollywood type of guy. And uh, it's, it's very obviously an emotionally abusive relationship. And worse still, her mother is on her ex-husband's side a lot of the times. And throughout the first couple of chapters, he is just gaslighting her repeatedly. And it really is the kind of... There's nothing that he is outwardly doing that makes anyone think he's doing something wrong, but because you know the context and you know what he put her through, it's she's the scummiest character in the game, and that includes all of the murderers. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, I think it's a very, uh, a very realistic depiction of how that kind of manipulation happens in relationships, and it's something that you know your main characters, main characters in a lot of games don't really face those issues. Um, and honor, honor does repeatedly throughout the first couple of chapters. And you really feel for honor as, as you know, she's going through all this. Yeah, no, that's good that they're addressing that too, in such a way. And again, hopefully most people as a society are woke enough to 
to get that that that's being put down yeah at any rate um we also uh got a lot of uh listener mail i'm wondering why don't we just break it up in between instead that of just being a big dump of listener mail so yeah um people are finally listening to me it's great whenever i ask for things we finally uh had a good chunk of listener mail come in so let's turn over to our inbox and hear from, uh, we'll say Ben M was uh, one of our first to reach out to us way back when in the beginning of um, of June. Yeah, June. So um, I've already written back to everybody since because we had a special episode in between. I didn't want to bog down that episode already with also making our guest host also go through a mailbag. So I wrote back to everyone and apologized. Thanks for them all for waiting. And again, everyone who wrote to us, thank you for waiting as we got to address these uh, listener letters on the uh, podcast. So first one comes from Ben M. Uh, Benjamin wrote to us, or me and the Runaway Five, um, <laughs> whoever we all are. At any rate, um, they made it a point that he was saying to tackle uh, a big multi-game RPG series. Uh, he had beat, uh, apparently, .hackgu last uh, record earlier in 2020 and has also finished the entire kingdom Hearts series so he was looking for something really big to get into uh and so naturally he chose legend of heroes <laughs> that is an ambitious ambitious goal <laughs> right right now uh, as of the writing of that email he was into chapter two and 17 hours into trails in the sky fc um but to that point uh he wanted to give a scout out, uh, a scout out a shout out to that point, he wanted to give a shout-out to Scott, because Scott put on together that really great guide, uh, So You Want to Get Into Trails. Uh, was mid-last year? Was it last summer? Did he I do think. That? Uh, it was last year, I know for sure. I just can't remember what point it was now. But it was a fantastic uh, entry point for anyone who was debating getting into the Legend of Heroes series. And now we have um, the possibility that the Crossbow games might get translated, maybe? I don't know. That's a hope. So there's more on that. And he played... Some of those translated for everyone's uh, viewing pleasure on the, the stream. So he's definitely an authority on it at the moment. So is Alana. So Scott, shout out for putting together that amazing series. He said it really was a huge help to him being a Falcon virgin, getting into <laughs> the series, and it was helpful. And also, um, since he's new to the series, he wants to know if there's any tips or tricks for getting through it. I haven't played it yet. Uh, how far have you gotten into any of the trials, Trails games? I started FC and then I did not continue into FC because I looked at what was ahead and I was like, oh, I can't afford to play through this dense package pack of games. Uh, <laughs> and that was a few years ago. And I've been meaning to get back into it because it is a, you know, it's a seminal RPG series um, that many people on our staff, including Alana and um, Caitlin, uh, are absolutely just in love with. Uh, and because I respect their opinion so much it's the kind of thing that i want to give it a shot and yeah i also read scott's uh scott's uh article it was in december end of december 2019 oh jeepers was that recent okay for some it's covid's made things feel real long i know i know um yeah and uh well, well for anyone out there who's thinking oh I, this is a series that i would like to you know take a look at we'll make sure that it's going to be in the show notes for you yes that'll be in the links down below but uh yeah to that point uh, I guess the first tip then would be carry on with the series. Keep playing it. Don't pull yep. up Jono. Um, but yeah, yeah, he actually pointed a question towards Alana for any tips and tricks. But yeah, by that virtue or by that. Um, but yes, also Caitlin could definitely address those as well, having just plowed through that series last year as well. So uh, at some point, one of them will hopefully get on the episode and I will uh, readdress that question for you, Ben, and see what they said. 
Uh, in since then, though, Ben has responded back. Uh, he's beat trails in the Sky FC, and now he's moved on to SC, and is about 15 hours in. And this was about two weeks ago now, so perhaps he's beaten it by then. I'm not sure yet, so we'll see. But still, he's finding it a phenomenal series, uh, and, and it's one he wouldn't have discovered if he had not been a listener, which uh, I love that aspect of this show. That, and you and I have talked about it many times whenever Keelan opens her mouth about Final Fantasy XIV, uh, for example. I, that, that was not um, a sound of so disgust. That, that was the sound of me being like, I really want to play it, but I'm too smart to. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's the, the passion of so many people that come on to talk about the games on the podcast and just the reviews on the site in general like it's hard not to get into them and want to buy them and weep as your wallet unloads uh, but yeah skies uh sorry skies of cold steel blah 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 too many different things i was thinking about all at once right there look at that my brain just had a train wreck it was great <laughs> um the trails of cold steel uh sorry tales of cold steel trails in the sky or rather the whole legend of heroes series um yeah final fantasy 14 like anytime they've spoken to those games like caitlin's passion for that just makes me want to dive into that series so bad Mm -hmm. and i mean i think that one of the we we do these things uh every now and then on rpg fam we have these little features about uh so you want to start uh i think the ones we have we have uh trails we have uh so you want to get into yees is it yees yes yeah i don't know yes yeah wise let's go with wise just because it's fun and it'll make so wise cringe <laughs> absolutely so you want to get into wise um or do you want to get into atelier so like these features are pretty cool i think the latest one was patrick did uh uh atelier uh so you want to start an atelier game in april beginning of april um i was thinking about pitching one uh to zach uh for so you want to get into yakuza because I, it would be it would be a good way to get all my Yakuza out of me, so I stopped talking about it on this podcast. That would be a good one, actually, yeah, and it's a really dense series. It is. I was thinking about waiting until uh, Like a Dragon comes out later in the year, though, so it, so it kind of sums up everything yeah. for a little while. So, so you want to lo- fight people with bicycles. Exactly. Uh, that's basically the, the over, overreaching theme of the entire series, just kill people with bikes. I thought it was the the X clan. The clan was in trouble again, or whatever it was. Uh, the Tojo. Oh, the Tojo clan is in crisis. Yes, the Tojo clan is in crisis. And also. every every game changes. Yes, it, every game changes the future of the Tojo clan forever. Um, yes, but they the way that they change the the way they resolve the crisis and change the future forever usually involves hitting someone with a bicycle. Spoiler alert. I mean, it would change me. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. If you want to change my mind, just be a giant person wearing a dragon tattoo walking up to me with a bicycle. I assume that I will probably, you know, believe and say whatever you want me to at that point, really. Well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, which also to that matter, uh, someone did comment back on um, your video review that we put together of the, the remasters <laughs> saying in Yakuza number, the Tojo clan is in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's basically the game. Uh, it's great but yeah that'd be a really fun article definitely go uh, go hard on that then sometime soon yeah i'm actually gonna i kind of want to see that comment yes so yeah to that fact though uh thank you ben for giving us some some listener mail and like i said i'll follow up with the the resident um legend of heroes fans see if they have any more tips and tricks beyond stick with it uh let's move along we'll have some other listener mail peppered through things for myself 
I played a bunch of stuff, which was funny because the last time, I think it was 191 when we did that episode, I really hadn't played like anything, which was fine because we had a huge bunch of people on, so it wasn't a big deal. And then I was all jazzed up for having actually had time to play a bunch of stuff because um, I played a couple things that were doing video review for and i had a game for review i went back to Link's awakening and had time for um horizon zero dawn and other stuff for the retro encounter podcast i had like just so much and then i decided like actually let's do this special episode instead so i've been sitting on a whole bunch of things that i've played finally and while i was on vacation um yeah i went back to Link's awakening over this past little holiday and beat it up Uh, i did the switch version of the Link's Awakening because it's so pretty and we got it for Christmas. And it's a beautiful yeah. game. Oh, that's a fun game. I mean, yeah, you talked about it. We chatted about it, and I said how much it looked good, and I just wanted to play it so badly. Yeah, I have my review. I have my review on there. I think I gave it a. I'm pretty sure I gave it an editor's choice. I think it deserved it because um, it's a great game. Yeah, and it was just such a blast. I mean, I dabbled a bit with Link's Awakening on the um, Game Boy at uh, Color hmm. um, back when. Uh, I also covered a bit of it when we were doing um, our This Day in Gaming kind of series that we briefly did for our YouTube channel here, RPG Fan. Um, and it was fun. It, like, it held up. I've beaten both the Oracle games, and you can definitely see how Link's Awakening inspired those and a lot of the same mechanics and um, the look and feel and dungeon structure and everything is very much grown upon what was established in Link's Awakening. But yeah, this remaster was just such a joy to jump into. It just looks so fun. The world is so vibrant and colorful to play around, and the new soundtrack is fantastic. And yeah, I just loved it. And you feel like those... I find it better with maybe the the top-down ones, I think a little more so than, say, any of the 3D ones. Um, you just feel like such a genius when you solve those puzzles. Yeah. You really do. And I mean, the... It's funny that they're in the same series, but it's kind of the same thing with Metroid, really. It's, yeah, there are, you know, there's Metroid Prime and there's Metroid Side Scrollers, and they're technically the same series, and they adopt many of the same uh, mechanics, but the reality is a lot of people gravitate towards one or the other. Do you gravitate towards the uh, overhead kind of classic Zelda? I've, I've, I've played all of them, I think, uh, aside from the CDI ones. <laughs> and even then, I've watched my friend play the CDI ones back when. And it's, uh, I don't know, like, there's something to be gotten from both of them. It's, you know, the same argument I would give people when they ask me, like, do you like acting on stage better or do you like acting on film better? Like, there's parts of both that I love. Uh, and, well, I would never pick one to be better than the other. Because, yeah, like I said, like, the puzzles feel a bit more tangible, I guess. Um, is that the word I'm looking for? But, like, there's just something about the exploration because it, you're, you're limited, right? Like, hmm. it's so interesting to see how things are developed with limits whereas when you see something like breath of the wild where there are very few and so much right yeah exactly and it's it almost feels like yeah when you get to those puzzle chambers they do a really good job of still trying to capture that classic puzzle but sometimes eh, some of them can feel a little baked uh, half baked you know and this is the nature of it when again kind of anything goes but that's also the fun of it is anything goes so watching how you can as a player or how other players have broken those chambers and bypassed some of the puzzle mechanics just by sheer dumb luck or ingenuity it's that's really interesting too and that's something you cannot really get away with in the classic top-down ones as well i mean speedrunners have found hacks and stuff here and there ways to clip through things i'm sure i haven't looked super hard into it speedrunners can do pretty much anything uh, exactly. Especially, especially uh, uh, Link to the Past is what they can do yes. with that game is magic. 
but it's um yeah so there's just something to be said about playing within those confines so it definitely shapes how you view the game whereas when i went to like breath of the wild or even ocarina of time when it first came out ocarina of time again had a lot of limits so the puzzles in the in the dungeons were super interesting being in a 3d space for the first time but more of those games are, are bigger on the exploration i would say than it so much as the the puzzle mechanics and learning how to navigate because there's so many roadblocks in how you get around the world and then each new um item open up a new step for you to go in the top-down 2d worlds where before like a little rock was a, a roadblock for you and that's they, they kept the same kind of vibe with the 3d zelda games but your initial space was so much bigger you didn't feel as funneled in so you had to explore a bit to figure out where to go next whereas it was pretty quick to tell you in any of the top-down 2d ones where you were able to go i mean link to the past was pretty big in its sprawl so you could get a little lost here and there, but I find at least with these um, Game Boy ones, it becomes quite clear. Right, cool, can't cut that down, so I guess I can only go this way. All right, here I go. Yeah. It's interesting, too, that uh, I think I mentioned this in the review. I haven't read the review for months. Um, that the game on the Switch feels, the, the island feels much, much, much smaller on the Switch version than it did on the Game Boy. Because with the Game Boy, it had the classic single screen scroll, like you link goes to the side of the screen, the screen scrolls over. And for some reason, that little pause between screens seemed to make the world and the island feel a little bit bigger. Whereas with this game, it's, you know, smooth screen, you know, you just walk everywhere on the island, there's no screen, there's no screen scrolling. Um, and it makes it feel a little bit smaller, I think. I would agree with that, actually. I found that rather interesting because, it. I mean, that's not to do it a disservice because it is still a very big play space and it, it feels big in its way. But I also found myself shocked sometimes how quickly I got from point A to point B, especially once I was able to navigate pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's so seamless and they don't have that perception of breaking it up, so to speak. Um I'm curious if it was like one to one. Occasionally, they, sorry, Greg. Occasionally, they do have that, and that's because of the slowdown. <laughs> yes, which uh, I because we didn't take the full switch dock with us because we didn't want to take up Grandma and Grandpa's TV. Grandpa likes to watch his NASCAR, and we don't want to get in the way of that. Um, so I was playing it almost exclusively in handheld, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, clunkiness at points in that game. Unfortunately, it's not as well optimized as I would think it should be for handheld mode, but. Uh, I know that was something you were hoping would get patched, but no, it hasn't been. So That's it's still a little really clunky sad, here yeah. and there. That's but it has a second. Once it kind of gets revved up, it goes. And then usually when you transition to another area, sometimes there's a bit of a a moment. But when it was when it went to 60 frames per second, it was beautiful and butter smooth. And you know, it was everything I wanted from that. how it presented at E3 to playing it was just... It's such a magical take on it with this new graphic style. And I would love to see them bring back the Oracle series in this. It'd be so great. Well, hopefully we'll find out by the end of July. Um, Nintendo has a couple of big announcements, I believe, don't they? They were they they're teasing it, or there's always rumors that there's going to be another direct at some point. Well, exactly, and we've we've gotten pretty much everything from almost every major developer that kind of missed out on E3 with this cavalcade of news that we got over this last month, which we still have to address uh, on my end of things and with the video team, but it's. Uh, yeah, there was a lot, but we haven't really had like the big E3 Nintendo Direct yet. We got that one where they talked about the Origami King and Bakugan. <laughs> What's that? I don't know what that is. That was the most anticlimactic reveal I've ever seen in a thing. It was hysterically funny. Uh, at least WayForward's got more work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, the fact that it was WayForward too, I'm like, ooh boy, what, maybe they got a Nintendo property. Maybe it's like WayForward's doing a Metroid or something. 
Like in my dream reality, WayForward's doing a side-scrolling Metroid uh, Zelda game. And uh, nope. No, that's not what we got at all. Apparently people still play Bakugan. Uh, not judging by Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> not though. We'll reinvigorate the series? I don't know. At any rate, the Link's Awakening is, yeah, it's, it's pretty magical. So it was, it was, I don't know. And it's fun too, because as much as the slowdown was a thing, playing it in handheld did feel like the right way to do it. And I guess it's just because it was naturally a handheld game to start with, but it looks good on the big TV too, but it was just, um, just with the little chunky, like claymation almost kind of style of it all. And, uh, it just felt right to be playing it in that handheld. And it's so clear, like I can see everything. I figured everything out, except when I was playing in low light. Um, I got stuck in uh, what's his face's castle, the prince. Uh, what's his name? Oh, oh. Uh, the the frog prince. <laughs> yeah, I got stuck in his castle at one point. I couldn't figure out where to go, and uh, because I was playing at night, uh, and I was asleep beside me, and I'm just sitting there with the screen like on the lowest um, brightness, <laughs> and it was just slightly too dark that I couldn't make out like one of like the side passageways. I didn't couldn't tell it wasn't a wall, so it wasn't until I played the next day with like the brightness up. I was like, oh duh, okay. And I had that happen a couple times when I was playing it on low light, but I had to kind of crank it up a little bit and risk burning my retinas, I guess. But uh, I got Did you get stuck it, anywhere so. else? Pardon? Did you get stuck anywhere else? I did. Um, I usually pride myself on Zelda games by not looking up guides, and I'm almost always good about it, but I got really stuck in that final Shadow Boss battle. Uh, again, probably because I was playing at like 2 a.m., mm-hmm. and my brain wasn't fully firing, but I was just really eager to get through the Windfish dungeon. And I... Um, couldn't figure out how to beat the Shadow Ganon character for some reason. I was, like, shooting everything I had at him um, and just couldn't figure it out until I was like, oh, I have to use this attack. Right. I forgot that my sword can do things. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really what it was down to. I was just thinking it had to be some gimmick with an item, and I just couldn't get to the bottom of it I was like an idiot. And then I looked it up and I was like, I'm dumb. Good job, me. Anyways, so uh, try it all, everybody. That's my my recommendation. I won't spoil it for you, but try everything, even your sword stuff. <laughs> I just for our guys, yes, I find you use like there's certain abilities you just don't use as much, and you mm-hmm. can, it's easy to forget about them. Yep. Uh, either way, it was satisfying to beat it. It's a pretty cool game. Yeah, I very and much I'm enjoyed glad it. I did it. I even did the color dungeon. I went red. I can't remember what I did. Oh, did you do any of the dungeon editor? Oh, I did actually. I did one. Yeah, I did that so far in the post game. It's pretty cool. I want to go back and do some more. I just well, I set it aside because, um, again, we just had a bunch, bunch of family visit and stuff happening. And there was a fishing tournament on Animal Crossing. So, Oh, yeah. Had to do that. Absolutely. But it, uh, it, it's neat. Uh, I do like how it shapes up. And because I didn't touch it until the very end of the game, I had, like, everything available to me. So ah. it's kind of fun to play around with, pick and choose different things and make a little neat little dungeon. So I'm excited to uh, build a couple of those and I'll challenge Gwen to them, see how she does. It's interesting. I found that the puzzle, uh, not the puzzle dungeons, I found that the uh, dungeon editor was sort of promoted as basically like a, uh, a like a Mario Maker style thing for Zelda. And I didn't feel like it was that because, I mean, you couldn't really set a theme for a dungeon. It didn't really have central mechanics, that kind of thing. What I thought it more was was a, uh, it was more like a puzzle. It was more like a puzzle game where you have to create the dungeon using these very specific uh, criteria. Um, yeah which was an interesting I, I, approach to it yeah i see that and i can see how this could be like a precursor to a legend of zelda maker hmm. if they do give you that like you know you place the room and then you can choose where to put chests what to put in the chests um what enemies to populate it with like all that sort of stuff like this is definitely a good place to start but yeah it, it has like no customizability it's just you drop something and what's in it's in it 
you just get to choose where it goes from there and in what order you get things which i'm so dumb i did my first like trial one just for fun and i had set like just outside the 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 what do they call the bosses in that one the, the nightmare room yeah nightmares i had set there's a chest in that room just before you went in which by logic if i had gotten every other chest the very last chest you unlock in your puzzle dungeons is the key to the nightmare mm. and i got all the way to that chamber and then i opened it and i was like one rupee what the heck Ah, <laughs> uh, i'm an idiot there's like one chamber that i had placed that went no it was just like into that chamber and then back into the entrance hall Wah-wah. that was just to the left of the main entrance so i stupidly had to go like all the way back to the very start Wah-wah. to get this one key because i'm an idiot <laughs> and forgot my own layout of my own darn dungeon i made uh it's funny <laughs> that is too bad it's funny though i mean <laughs> womp 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 i mean zelda makers sort of exist um along with like mario maker was nintendo's take on i think it was called lunar magic uh was a uh super mario world uh creator and you know basically a lot of the same things you create your own hacked version of mario um, and I think there was one called Zelda Classic um, for, uh, I think it's I think it's just PC. And it, it, it does the same thing. Like it's originally Zelda Classic was a full, a full out remake of the original Legend of Zelda for NES um, with like almost looking like identical assets. It was essentially a clone version of it. Um, but yep. they, they opened the engine and you know to fans and everything i guess there's like hundreds upon hundreds of zelda games some of them are terrible of course but some of them are of extraordinarily good quality and uh i remember playing a few a few years ago and they're they're very good so i mean well, the that's I- what they always wanted to do there yeah. was um on that uh, the disc drive there at least i think there was in they had it at least in japan we never got it overseas but on the nintendo disc drive there was um like a Legend of Zelda editor map maker thing that I think was always like something they wanted. They wanted to make it so people could go and explore and do their thing. Just we never got it. Yeah, we really skipped out on the whole disk drive thing. It's kind of a shame. They like, I mean, the Famicom got a disk drive and the uh, the Nintendo 64 sort of got a disk drive. And we uh, we missed out on all that. But that would have been cool even back in Nintendo days if we'd gotten like a whole Legend of Zelda creator would have been super dope. Yeah, I think it's very interesting the way, I mean, video game history is fascinating, but when you look at how uh, the Famicom uh, worked versus how it, how the Nintendo Entertainment System worked, like, I mean, there was, you'd you'd walk in with a, essentially a floppy disk to a store and you'd you'd put the game on your floppy disk and that's how you did it. There were, for a while, there were no game cards. Yeah, it's bizarre, but that's where you gotta start, right? Yeah. Didn't also that one had the... It had like the Nintendo TV or like the satellite TV thing or whatever. I feel like that gave yeah. access to certain stuff too. I can't remember whether or not satellite TV that. happened for Super Nintendo or if it was also, or I mean for the Super Famicom or if it was for Famicom as well. I'm forgetting now. I remember I watched a video on it and it was really interesting, but that was like two years ago now. I can't remember. I'm sure someone can clarify this for me. Send me an email. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, check out, uh, I think uh, on YouTube, uh, Video Game Historian has a good video on it, I think. And that's probably the one I actually watched. Yeah, uh, I think he does. He does very, very good work. Um, I know that I know that there was one for the Super Nintendo because they had the uh, the quasi sequel to Link to the Past, where uh, over the years, there, yes, that's right. Yeah, a ROM got released of it, but because it was lacking the the announcer, it didn't really work all that well. And eventually, like fans hacked it, and so it was actually a playable version of the game, which I think is maybe that's the one I'm thinking of then. Yeah, and I think you had to download it through their the random like again like online service or something 
yeah, Nintendo really did have a bit of a, like in terms of the internet, in terms of uh, on, I think I think there was online banking on the NES originally. I think like they really were ahead of the curve on that in Japan, and it just never really happened in uh, the West. And then for some reason they just never bothered to innovate their online capabilities <laughs> i don't understand either i mean uh, it, it, i'm kidding oh you're kidding but you're what's the old phrase you're i mean kidding. it's not that bad but i think it was you're kidding on the square it's like i'm kidding but i'm serious <laughs> yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah. at any rate uh yeah if you haven't played Link's awakening and you have a switch um probably should go do those things unless you know you just hate zelda games which some people do mm-hmm. that's your choice you can be wrong uh no <laughs> It's just, it's such a whimsical, delightful, fun experience. Yep. And I, yeah, I just, I loved it. And it holds start up. to finish, I'm glad I finally played it. Yeah, it holds up. It's still a great game. And nothing beats being able to carry Marin over your head. Nope, that is the dream. <laughs> and her calling you a bad boy when you break pots in front of her. It's super funny. <laughs> she's a oh, great, she's a very good character. She has, she is some of the most personality of a Zelda character in the series. And that's saying something because... There aren't a whole lot of voice lines in this game, but uh, they really do, they use what they have to great effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. It was, it's, yeah. And I think that's why it's, that game has stuck with players for so long, just from the outright, the nature of the world. And also, yeah, again, just how poignant some of those moments are and how um, how self-aware, I guess it is, in a sense. Yeah, like it's different. final moments, it's, ugh, gets you. It's different. That's what I think that people like about it. it. There are certain Zelda games that give you something a little bit different, uh, a different spin on it, are nice. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Breath of the Wild was so successful, not just because it's a brilliantly designed game, but also because, like, it, it's you've lost at the beginning of that game. You're done. Like, the party's over and you lost. Um, and then it's the game is sort of about rebuilding yourself and uh, coming back from that, which is different from most Zelda games, which is the usual you know, dungeon, dungeon, dark world, more dungeons, fight Ganon, you're done. And this game is very similar, is, you know, it departs from that for one of the first times in the series history. Yeah, it's, yeah, just magical. Yeah. I'm glad I took part in that piece of history, even Mm. in the remake. Absolutely. It stays pretty true to it. I mean, I don't know, I haven't gone back to really look at, like, what was better or not, um, what was improved upon. Like, I'm sure some of the hit detection and stuff like that was a bit better, but... Overall, I'm not sure if one is easier than the other. I don't know. I'll tell you what the only thing that I've... I mean, it's funny. When I played... When I reviewed it, I thought, okay, I've got to go back. And my partner, she happens to have a Game Boy Color. And she happens to have uh, Link's Awakening uh, DX sitting in it. So immediately after I finished the Switch version, I was like, all right, let's play. And I sat back down again. And it was like... It was in one of the final dungeons. um, And I walked away tremendously impressed by it. Because it was... It was such a faithful recreation of the Switch. The thing that really made a difference, though, were the extra buttons. And having dedicated sword buttons so you didn't have to switch your sword out of uh, yeah, either A or B. Yeah, a big difference. Yeah, it made, it made that a lot easier. And I didn't make it easier in the way that it was just a nice quality of life thing that just having extra buttons gave you that freedom. It saves you time. It's yeah. just less clunky. It's yeah. really the only difference. But I don't think it makes the game easier. No, I don't think it does either. I, I, it's maybe just that split second of going like, oh, I don't have to actually think about going in and switching items. I just have it. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a big difference between difficulty and just making things simpler. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that being said, uh, moving along, we've got more listener mail. Uh, we've got one, uh, which uh, I remember telling you about this 
a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about planning this episode out, uh, we got one from a Norwegian listener. Yeah, this uh, is cool. Which was, yeah. Um, our Norwegian listener um, is uh, coming all the way from uh, from Norway, of course. But um, his name is Per. There we go. That's what I was trying to get to. His name is Per, uh, which he was very clear about saying it's pronounced like the fruit pear. So I appreciate you because, um, yeah, it looks like per. So I wasn't sure. But he also goes by the Hillbilly Gamer. Um, which we can pronounce he's a Norway (laughs) hillbilly it's great he was saying how he's been listening to Retro Encounter sorry Random Encounter for a while and he started getting into Retro Encounter as well Uh, and because he's a huge game collector and a big RPG fan um, our podcast has been one of those podcasts that has helped him kind of discover new games and the website itself he's been reading RPGfan.com for a while and keeping track of new discoveries for him to add to his collection so, um, yeah, he said he started playing pen and paper RPGs until finally he did East on the Sega Master System and then was basically hooked on RPGs. So, sounds like a good entry point. I have yet to play an East. I really should. So, he was nice enough to buy me one for Christmas, and I uh, really need to go dive into that. I hear we have a feature on RPG Fan to help you get into it. Do we? Who so- wrote that? <laughs> so, you want to play East. And that one was by... I think it was by... Was it by Fenner? Uh, I think that was, yeah, that was Robert Fenner. Yep. Yeah. That sounds right. And yeah, so uh, I am going to be looking into that very soon as I stop doing so many other things. Anyways, um, so yeah, he's been loving the podcast, stumbled on the webpage, and has been using it to hunt for RPGs for his collection that he throws onto a Retron 5. Uh, and he also likes the fact that we play a lot of, we have a few, quite a few Japanese-only reviews, because back we had some folks who were able to do that, at least from the retro collection of stuff. So he's got a few retro, uh, sorry, Japanese-only games with translations patches too that he's able to access so he loves that we cover those as well so he knows if he's getting into something good or not hmm. either way uh he wanted to chime in on our discussion that we had on 190 i think it was 190 i don't think it was 191 too many people on 191 i think it was 190 we talked about just you um, mean a lot games yeah we we're talking about mobile games um and he was saying that he's a grumpy old dude and has a hard time buying games when he can't get them in a physical format which we just had a chat about that didn't we on the our Slack channel where people are talking about how they prefer physical over download only. And for myself, with since we got the Switch, I have been exclusively download only. I'm I don't a, want more things. I'm a digital guy too. Yeah, and I appreciate like there's that whole digital rights thing and you know what happens if that runs out, where does your tangible proof of your purchase, you know, it's a hard thing to hang on to. Although we all have ideally we have a whole purchase history, so we should be able to go like, hey, when this comes back up, I want my copy back. I imagine that can be fought, but it hasn't been a thing except for, I think, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah, so that's a thing. But at any rate, it's yeah, it's a weird thing. I get it. But um, yeah, so with mobile games, he's a big problem with that because they're all just digital only. But at the same time, um, it's hard for him when he's got his two sons and he works a lot, and his sons play video games a lot, and he doesn't have a ton of income, so having um, mobile games be a lot more affordable seems like a natural way to go, but there's just so few of them that he felt that were like, you know, big, solid RPG experiences, because a lot of them are so gacha. Like right now, he says he's playing Shimigami Tensei DX2 and Pokemon Go, are basically the only two phone games he plays because he just loves the, the two IPs a lot. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he's having a hard time staying engaged with them in general. So I was giving him some feedback based on like our conversation we had about Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, War of the Visions, because it's basically, or 
well, as I just said, it's basically as a Final Fantasy Tactics, or it's Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, War of the Visions. There we go. Yeah, that's it. But it feels basically like a full Final Fantasy Tactics game. Like, you don't have to participate in any of the gacha stuff if you don't want to, and you have a fully fleshed-out story that's also on par with Dragalia Lost, which I had spoken about as well, that it's it's a commitment. If you want to play Dragalia Lost, like, it's a full RPG. Fully voiced story sequences that Stephen Meyerink, of, formerly of the staff, works quite heavily on. Um it's it's a very involved game so like those two are big ones and then i talked about the, the cat in time and space um was another one because it just feels like playing a chrono trigger game just with a few little gotcha elements but like the gotcha stuff is so meager that you could get through the whole experience if you wanted you just might miss out on some like personal quests and stuff so yeah there's, a, there's some stuff out there so either way yeah final fantasy dimensions i think uh is a oh yeah it's right yeah you brought that one up dimensions is great uh i mean and if it's you... pretty cheap to buy the full game right uh it's yeah i think it's something like 20 it's not like super cheap it's not like a five buck game yeah. but it's it's yeah. not super expensive and i mean if you want it also you, goes on special now and again yeah i mean if you want you have the original tactics on there as well a lot of yep and when they go it goes on special like the, the square enix titles all go on special same with dragon quest one through eight are on mobile now Mm-hmm. yeah they uh it, it it's a pretty good retro platform in a lot of ways and in other ways you know they they create their own versions final fantasy uh Five and six, of course. Yes, and your mileage may vary with touchscreen. Yeah, but on the, um, yeah, gamepad controls. Yes, but uh, the new iOS, I think it was been it's been for the last year, and I, the new one I think is going even further. Are very compatible with game with uh, Xbox One controllers. Like you can pair an Xbox One controller oh, to your. Uh, That's right. Actually, I did hear that. Yeah, to your phone or to your. I mean, you could always do that with Android, but you can do it to your iPad as well, and it makes for a pretty good uh, a pretty good. Uh, system to carry around with as a portable system all you need is a controller and your ipad and you're all set yeah no kidding um so yeah there's one solution for you pair as well and then although he's hoping that just a lot of stuff gets ported over to the switch but we'll see i mean the switch isn't a terrible place for i guess mobile platforms but i don't know if i want all the the gacha elements on there it just seems like you would need a dedicated internet thing for most of that stuff so Mm. it could be tricky uh at any rate um he's just saying he has no one really to talk about with gaming in his life so listening to the podcast and hearing us chit chat um we fill that in for him so i'm so he says thank you and yeah thank you for letting us know that that's that's awesome that's really great that for you yeah what was it what did they call you i'm just thinking what what did they call you in the last one uh greg and the oh greg and and you uh i guess the the collection of guests the runaway five greg and the runaway five i I don't know why i just have in my head now it's 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 a pair in the retron five (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah, exactly pair in the retron five it sounds like a really really uh fun like late 70s sci-fi show it's um he would have like it would be a robot It'd be his robot partner yeah and they solve and they fight crimes okay we gotta say doc um, pair and the ro- doc pair and the retron five yes there you go we've got it that's it let's package that and deliver it uh but anyway uh so yeah as we are rambling right now um he was accusing himself of rambling but uh no this is great thank you so much for the feedback and getting into things um he was asking if we had an episode on the atelier game and i went looking and we haven't actually i don't think retro has either yet no but uh, there is a every yeah. uh, you so you want to get into atelier article Which, out there i may have responded with i can't remember now but yeah that was written by pat can yeah we are really yeah, hitting this. that feature over the head this week and i love it yeah right so uh, yeah, there's a lot of good features for these folks who want to do these deep series, deep dives. Uh, we we're on it here at RPG Fan. So pair, go give it a read. Uh, but yeah, thank you for loving the site, the podcasts. We will keep it up. Uh, Scandinavian point of views are welcome. 
uh, and you can always share them with us. So thank you for the, the much love. Um, again, that was sent back at around the beginning of June. Uh, since then, he did get back to me uh, at the beginning of July, which would have been on Gwen's birthday, actually. And um, yeah, so he's going to check out those those games. He said he's tried um, the the Brave Exodus game, and he said he does like the story mode so far, and he grew up with the Final Fantasy series, so he's hoping he'll get it. And while he respects that the Final Fantasy and loves the Final Fantasy series, he feels it's fallen off so badly over the years. So yeah, I that did happen, but they've rebuilt. I feel there's an argument to be made both ways on that. Well, exactly. And he's, he hasn't even bought or has planned to buy the Final Fantasy VII Remake yet. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he feels he needs to run and hide from the RPG fan crew now because he said that out loud. It's okay. I haven't played it yet either. I'm waiting for the PC version. Yeah, and I haven't gotten it just because time and money because I need to get a job again. But uh, I would I still really want to dive into that version because it's... I mean, everyone on the team has spoken so highly of it. So I think you'd be in good hands with, with that one pair. It seems like... In my opinion, Square Enix has been doing a good job at writing the Final Fantasy ship. We'll see what happens when 16 comes around, but they've been making some good headway, I feel, and 14 has been leading a lot of that, and I think that's a good bar for them to hold themselves to, and if other games in the series can meet that, I think they'll be okay. But a lot of the remakes and everything have been great. Absolutely, and if you're if you're looking for some classic Final Fantasy-style games, I mean, we talked about the Bravely series quite a bit on this show a few weeks ago. Um, Bravely 2 is coming out theoretically before the end of the year bravely default 2 that'd be a you know that's going to be good um i know you have uh mobile so i think that the sequel the prequel to octopath traveler is coming out pretty soon for mobile and that might be an interesting place to look at that'd be a good one for you for sure yeah um so anyways carrying on with pair he's going to (laughs) now as as everyone seems to want to get into deep dives he's looking into getting into the persona games Ooh, that is a deep deep dive yeah, exactly. And uh, as you had said, just like me, you know, he's a father, doesn't have a ton of time to play the game. So he got into the, uh, uh, oh shoot, SMT. I'm blanking on what SMT stands for now. Shimagami Tensei. There we go. Yeah. Uh, about 10 years ago. And he, for some reason he says, he's like, I had a weird view that Persona was not a real thing. And oh, how wrong I was. So he's like, I'm a purist, but he's like, I'm not going to pay the insane price for Persona 1 on eBay. So, but he also has a hard time playing games if he can't play them in the right order. So mm-hmm. He has two and three and four, but he's like, he's like, I still need to find the first game. So I hope that gets ported for you before you dive into it, or you can find something at a reasonable price. Do some bin diving. I don't know. I'm a little surprised that it's but, not available on yeah. other uh, on any other uh, platforms. Maybe it was Vita. I don't know if it ever got ported. I'm not sure. But I mean, they did just port Persona 4 Golden, so I'm wondering if the Atlas is going to start going back and throwing everything on Steam now. Persona One Revelations. I've never gotten. I never played the. This is not a series that I'm into. Possibly because we don't have a feature on RPG fan talking about how to get into the Persona series yet. But someone should do that. Maybe I don't know. It's a million Even. dollar idea. <laughs> the original Persona was on uh, PlayStation, uh, PlayStation Portable, and it looks like there is a Windows version available. I, I sincerely doubt it's Windows. It came out in 1996, so you might need to be able to get a copy of Windows 98 yeah, in order to play it. But. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. GOG. Come on, GOG. Pick that up. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, uh, he has said, though, he goes on to say he's breaking the mold and he's actually going to start with Persona 4. Mm. And he has gotten into it a bit. And uh, and then he's going to get 1 and 2. Or he has 1 and 2 in Japanese. So we'll see how he does. 
Uh, but yeah, he's been listening to our podcast and he's been listening a lot to Retro Encounter. So, Solosi, you keep him coming. Uh, and yeah, he's liking the talk every day. So, he looks forward to our next episodes, which is this one. And we're talking about you. And he also urges everyone to stay safe in these times. Since all of us all over Europe are thinking of us and uh, living so close to the American border and Trump. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's not great all the time, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, let's... Um... Yeah, the border's closed for now. So Exactly. Either way, Pear, thank you so much for once again being our resident hillbilly from Norway. We appreciate your feedback and getting some uh, international listenership in there. Yeah, <laughs> I hear we're huge in Europe. Apparently. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you were saying um, you actually got some analytics from um, Salvato about where we're, we're big. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have, well, in Canada, we have uh, apparently our, our listenership is in ontario and bc so that's 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 greg and i probably yeah just listen just to the two of us and app- yep, apparently we have some listenership in nova scotia which is probably me on vacation visiting my parents so you know we're doing good yeah we're and doing then great. um and we have again like, an, uh, an east-west rivalry apparently with uh retro encounter yeah we I think random owns the east and retro owns the west allegedly yeah that's that seems to be the way it's broken down so it's an east coast west coast sort of uh sort of situation yeah we need to have some sort of t-shirt kind of like west is best and beasts of the east kind of thing going on or something like that that we can ship out to our fans and create a big epic rivalry between the two podcasts oh i like it i like it we just need it's it's between the two of us though i think we need like someone in the middle like another podcast of some kind yeah like something that people want to listen to about music yeah that would be great the the perfect for the perfect for middle america really yeah the the (laughs) middle middle of north america needs something apparently because we're not doing it nope <laughs> but uh no um yeah keep giving us feedback we 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 like to hear it from all corners of the world and uh that's really funny that um yeah that <laughs> solosi's cornered the west what am i doing wrong my west coasters come on no um either way more games we talked about more games yeah. um so yeah link's awakening had some issues uh when it comes to slowdown on the switch but CrossCode got ported up on July 9th that came out, and you've been playing it, and you said it's not holding up as great? Actually, it's pretty funny, because we were ta- a lot of the issues that we're talking about uh, with Link's Awakening also apply to uh, CrossCode for the Switch. Um, CrossCode's a game that I've wanted to play for years, but I've just not really done it, because it's been in early access for so long. I think it's been in early access since 2015, and then it was released last year in its full form. Uh, and I believe Alana reviewed it, and um, hang on. Yeah, she gave it an 85, so she really enjoyed it. Um, and it was coming out for Switch, so I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll play it. Um, and I have to admit, I'm really enjoying it. I really, really like it. It reminds me a lot of a late, uh, very uh, late period SNES game, which is what they're going for uh, in terms of the mechanics. It almost reminds me of a cross between Secret of Mana and Legend of Zelda, Um when you're in the world itself, like the overworld, wandering around, it's it's one big world. There's no like airships or anything like that. You can instantly teleport between various uh, places, but you can walk from one end of the world to the other. And in that way, it reminds me a little bit of Secret of Mana. And then when you go into uh, the dungeons uh, in this game, they are like Legend of Zelda dungeons on steroids. Um, there are... There are there are fights in them, and everything ends with a boss battle. And the boss battle is usually um, is usually sort of a puzzle type of boss, kind of like in Zelda as well, where there's a there's a mechanic you need to figure out to be able to beat the boss. 
Um, but for the most part, the temples are just puzzles. And uh, you use your your uh, spheromancer uh, powers where you can shoot you shoot spheres and you can get you can charge them with various elements. Um, it sounds like so made up. Like someone just asked the person, like, so what can you do? Throw spheres? I'm a, I'm, I'm a spheromancer. Yeah, it's a real thing. Look it up. <laughs> That's sort of the entire game, though. It's, um, the game, the, the concept of the game, it's really, really, really clever. It's a game that takes place in an MMO. Um, the game itself is not an MMO. It is a, it, it's a classic single player uh, action RPG. But the game, like dot hack kind of thing. Yeah, but the game itself takes place in an MMO, and they have gone to extreme lengths to create a very authentic MMO experience within the game. Uh, and your main character is uh, is a silent silent protagonist, and the reason why they're a silent protagonist is because their voice chat is broken, um, so they can't speak. <laughs> they can't speak to That's anyone. Fine. So eventually they get like program pre-programmed uh words that they can say so the only words they can say is leah hi bye sorry so or i guess sorry so using like the can gestures yeah exactly so like everyone else in the game can talk and like they'll ask her like a complex question and she'll be like sorry <laughs> and shrug because they can't speak um and which is it, it's very very clever the game itself is tremendously clever the puzzles are fiendish they're so friggin' hard and just brain busters in places some of them are easy some of them you walk in and you get it like that and there are other ones that uh, i i I was playing for like 15 minutes maybe more trying to figure out these puzzles the different elements behave differently depending on which uh where you are and which tools you have to interact with and some are more logical than others like uh, for me uh, electricity and magnets tends to come very easy to me uh the waves are the wave element is a little bit trickier which like can teleport you around the room um yeah and like it with these four elements every enemy in the game has weaknesses and uh and resistances to these elements so you need to be able to figure out which one which element to use on which enemy uh to be able to be able to beat them because the game does have a fairly if you're not leveled up and you do not have the appropriate equipment the game is rather difficult. Um, I I have to admit, I always find it challenging. It, it, like the enemies don't scale up with you, but it, there are there. It's a very challenging game, and you can get overwhelmed easily by enemies. Lots of them on the screen at the same time, and enemies. There are very few enemies that you can just whack to kill. Um, each one has its own specific mechanic weakness. You need to break their guard in order to actually inflict a lot of damage on them. So it's not the kind of game you can just mindlessly run around whacking people, at least not in like the later areas. Um, now, I like when the games challenge you like that so they don't just let you get into a simple just hit everything rhythm and hope for the best. Exactly. Um, now, my big problem with it is uh, something we were talking about Legend of Zelda with, and that is the slowdown and uh, frame rate issues. It is playable. It's very, very playable. I'm having a good time playing it. But when you are on a very large screen, like one of the towns, and there's a lot of sprites running around, and there's a lot happening on the screen, uh, there is, you know, there are frame rate issues, and there is quite a bit of slowdown, um, especially when there are particle effects. Like if I'm in a dungeon and I'm surrounded by, like, 
various enemies and I hit them with one of the most powerful spells I've got, which creates lots of sparks. The game will slow down like it's a Mega Man game on NES and there's too many sprites on the screen. Like it will literally go into slow motion. Um, and I mean, I don't think that's intentional. I guess they might be trying to call back to what it's actually like to play a Super Nintendo game, but I don't think so. Um, and there are, uh, <laughs> there are a few other problems with it that are just strange. Like, uh, there's a delay in the menu. So if you go into the menu and you want to check, you know, check your, uh, items, uh, you, you equip your guy, uh, you want to check out the circuit board, which is how you, uh, pick the skills, uh, that you want in the game. Uh, when you hit it, there's like a second delay between hitting the button and then going to the screen. So you'll be like, hit next screen. And it's a minor little delay, but oh weird, yeah, that kind of thing really does get to you eventually because I guess what's well, gonna add up, yeah. I guess we just expect things to happen instantaneously when we hit a button nowadays. Um, and I have been able to. There is a reliable bug where I can crash the game uh, if I go into the encyclopedia section and I try to look up plants in uh, in Autumn's Fall, I think. Uh, if I try to do that, my game will crash every single time. I've tried restarting the game. That's I've, not great. Yeah, I've tried turning the system off and on again. Now, there's no information in there I really need. I was just curious because there's a surprising amount of lore in the game, basically based around the idea that it's set in an MMO. Um, they've created an entire world and lore and a history, and it's, you know, it's very, very clever. But... I was trying to get in there, and it was really, really slowing down, and then it started slowing down to the point where the game crashed. So that was disappointing. I'm really hoping that they come out with a patch in the near future, because otherwise the game, I mean, it looks amazing. It looks amazing on hand, on handheld mode, too. Um, I like playing games. Like, I have, a, I have, you know, my television set, and I love playing games on my TV, but every now and then Amanda will be in the living room, and I'll be like, okay, I'll just pick this up and head outside to the balcony or something like that, or the room. And play it on a handheld mode. And this game plays very, very well in handheld. If you're looking for a portable version of CrossCode, I mean, this is the game you want. It works. It, it works beautifully. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that have been. There is one. Th okay, there is one thing in this game that is. It's not bothering me, but it is something that I feel hurts it slightly, because it's set in an MMO, and like all of the characters in the game are, you know, avatars. They're 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 players. Um, there is a lot of the time, the vast majority of time, there is a real lack of danger and stakes in the game. Um, there are points in the game where, like, real-world things and, like, the overreaching, the other plot, the plot that's actually happening to your main character and, like, the mystery of why she can't talk properly and, like, there is that mystery too. And in that part of the game, there are stakes and there is actual danger. And, uh, it, it's, that's very compelling. Right. But when you're just in the world as it is, and you're going through the dungeons, and you're following the track, as it's called in the game, there's really no sense of actual danger. Because if you die in-game, if you die, you respawn immediately to the other side of the screen. And, you know, that's... So there's there's really no danger just playing it. And there's also no danger to the quote-unquote characters in the game, because they know if they die, they're just going to respawn immediately after. Right, so yeah, there's not really a lot of punishment. Even, like... And I guess failing the puzzles or whatever in the dungeons themselves doesn't really hold you back, so to speak, aside from just taking longer to get through it. Yeah. Um, there is a really funny mechanic, though, where you enter... Whenever you enter a dungeon, you're often entering with your uh, friends because you'll form a party together. 
But when you go into a dungeon, all dungeons are instance or instance. So if you go in, you're by yourself. Um, it, you know, as an MMO mechanic. Um, but to like incorporate the idea, if you go into a dungeon, you end up in a race with your other characters. So depending on how fast you finish the oh, dungeon, neat. you might end up first, second, or third. I think I've lost. Okay, so there are some stakes to the puzzles, and that's cool. I don't think you get anything out of it. Like I don't, you don't get any items for winning the uh, the the races. Oh. I think you might get achievements, but that's pretty much the only thing you get. I mean, I'm on Switch anyway, so that's not really a big thing. Um, it's just it's it's one of those little ways that the world it makes you feel like the world is actually living like these people are like the people you're playing with are actually uh people not just characters like on the other side of their computer playing the game um and that's very very clever but yeah the stake, yeah, like that the stakes for the most part because the majority of the game up until the end anyway you are just playing the mmo as you normally would you're doing side quests which you know a lot of fetch quests in the great mmo tradition um and because of that I feel like the stakes are fairly low because everyone's in there just to have fun and have a good time. And technically, so are you. Like, you're building friendships with these characters and you're getting to know them better and getting to know uh, their struggles. But they're all playing it for fun. They're playing it because it's an MMO. And because of that, the stakes are do tend to be low for the most of the game. Um, and I'm not really too absorbed by the, uh, by the, the plot of the MMO because that's kind of the... That's the background noise. That's the background uh, story. That's just the world I'm in, but it's not the story that's being told about me. It's just kind of there. Now, I'm coming down hard on this game for the frame rate issues and the, you know, lack of story. That being said, it's it's really delightful. It's a really well put together game. There are so many items and possibilities and puzzles that are just brilliantly put together. Every single screen is a puzzle in the, in the sense that uh, every screen is made up of different levels. So there's like ground level, there's one above that, there's one above that, there's one above that, so there's hills. And you can parkour around these areas. As long as you find are on the right level, you can jump between uh, two platforms. So as long as you're on the same platform, you can, on the same level, you can jump between platforms. And by doing this, you can find items in every single place. So it's, it's a good place to explore. It's a great game to explore the world and... Uh, to just have some fun. I, I very, very... I'm going to recommend it. I think that there are a lot of missed opportunities in it. Um, but I don't think that those are deal breakers for the game whatsoever. I mean, this in ter- it's an indie game, technically. And in terms of an indie game, it has a scope. It's a massive game. Like, I was expecting to plow through this thing in, like, I don't know, 15 hours. And, like, I'm... I'm very much into like the 40 plus hour mark now and getting to the end, but there's a lot of game here. So you're getting a lot for your money when you purchase this thing. And is it all earned? Like it's not padding? Uh, no, I don't think it's a lot of padding. I mean, I find the story to be very intriguing, the actual story to be very intriguing. Um, and there are, like I said, fetch quests, but I think all the fetch quests in many ways are almost part of the world. There's a lot of mini games in it throughout too. Like I found a tower defense, a tower defense game, uh, in places, um, one of which Bless is me. yeah, one of which is just kicking my butt. I cannot beat it. And you get quests, so it's the usual like you walk up to a character and there's a question, there's a question mark or an exclamation point above their head, and you talk to them and they give you a quest that you can accept or deny. So it does feel like an MMO. Um, I mean, I, I, Greg, I mean, if you're looking for a game that is 
super fun, and actually, it might be a little hard for Gwen, but I mean, in terms of its look and its its uh, nature and everything, I think it would be a decent game. It's well, a, if it's got like the Zelda kind of puzzles and kind of structure, it's definitely my wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, the puzzles are harder than Zelda are. Like some of them, you know, in Zelda, there's usually one puzzle in every single dungeon that's like the real head scratcher. Like, yep. oh, what do I do with these balls and these pillars? Um, yeah. But there, it's like almost every single room in CrossCode uh, is is a head scratcher of a puzzle. Okay, I dig that. I'm into that. I think you would. I think it's a game worth playing. I really do. It's up. It's been on my radar. It looks like it from its appeal in its visuals and um, the gameplay style has been in my wheelhouse for a while and on my list of things to get. So it's just been a matter of when. And I'm glad to know that I should dodge it on the Switch. I don't think you should get it on the Switch. I think you should get it on PC. I could do that. Yeah. Um, and who knows? Like, I'm, I'm obviously, next episode, I might give you an update and say, hey, you can get it on the Switch now because they patched it and it's running great. But considering they haven't, Nintendo hasn't patched Link's Awakening yet, it might just be a limitation of the system. Yeah. I mean, I love my Switch. I adore my Switch. But uh, I'm a little bit worried what's going to happen when the uh, PS5 and the Xbox uh, Series X comes out. Because... I know Nintendo isn't playing the same game as them, but there still is competition between the three systems and the three big companies. And, like, their current-gen systems are kicking the crap out of the Switch. When the PS5 comes along, the Switch is going to look just archaic, except for the fact you can take it everywhere. Yeah, that's why I'm curious how and when Nintendo plans on innovating next, but I don't know. I, like, I get where you're coming from, but I think they're still okay for a bit, because... There's a certain part of the market they have cornered, for sure. Oh, I agree. I don't think that Nintendo's in trouble as of now, but Nintendo tends to... In Nintendo never innovates on... Uh, they innovate on mechanics. They don't tend to innovate on hardware. Like, the hardware, obviously, uh, impacts the mechanics. So for the Wii, of course, it was motion controls. For the Wii U, it was the touchscreen. For the Switch, it's the portability and the fact that, you know, it's a console and it's also a handheld. Um, and I mean, I have no idea where they're going to take it next, but I think it is a little bit disappointing that Nintendo really has thrown up their hands and say, we're not playing this game. We're not going to be going for the, the latest in technology or the fastest processors or, uh, SSDs or graphics. I think yeah, they just want you to have fun. They just want you to have fun. And I think that that's a strength and a weakness. I do wish in my heart of hearts that they would try just a little bit harder uh, on their next system to make sure it is at least running up to current gen rather than hanging back a little ways. And, uh, and uh, I mean, a perfect example of this, we were talking about uh, in the, uh, the uh, <laughs> a bunch of people in a ball pit episode um, where was it Tucker was talking about uh, the Outer Worlds uh, on Switch. Right. And it's like, wow, they ported the Outer Worlds to Switch, and it looks terrible. Like it's playing, it's playing okay, and like everything's there, but it looks, it looks really, really bad. And I don't think that is necessary anymore because, like, what my iPad can do, which is not considerably larger than my Switch, is it le graphically speaking, it leaves the Switch in the dust. Heck, my phone. I have an iPhone. I have an iPhone eight. And, like, it can still pull off graphics that, and without any slowdown or hiccups that I don't think the Switch could really pull off. I think Nintendo really does need to innovate in their next generation unless they want to be 
uh, unless they really want to be left behind in the dust. It, the mechanics are fantastic, and obviously that's why the Switch is excelling, is because of its unique uh, it, its unique uh, form mm-hmm. factor and what it offers. And I would argue the the price point helps too. I would argue like the price part of why they keep it down as well. I would argue it does, but I mean, like if you're looking at what else is happening in the market right now, uh, with Apple, uh, Apple's going to be introducing ARM chips in all of their laptops, and they've been using ARM chips in their uh, iPad and phones for uh, years now. And like they are, you know, super efficient, super low power, um, and they are much cheaper. Uh, and because of that, you know, they they kind of had the they kind of the edge in a lot of ways. And I wish that Nintendo would look at maybe adopting some of that. Um, I don't know if, if obviously Nintendo would never go into business with Apple, but other people are making ARM chips. It's sort of where it's sort of where the industry is going. Um, and I don't. I hope that Nintendo, at some point, because they haven't for they haven't since the GameCube created a system that is equal to the technology of that generation. I think the GameCube was the last system that they actually created that was uh, somewhat comparable in power to the PlayStation uh, PlayStation 2 and the Xbox One. And then they just stopped playing that game. Hmm. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I mean, you know, they do we'll their see. own thing. That's Nintendo. I love Nintendo. I'm a Nintendo fan. That's I grew up with an SNES. I'm a Nintendo fanboy. Um, and I don't think that Nintendo... I don't think necessarily that Nintendo innovating on form factor and mechanics means that they shouldn't also be innovating in terms of their actual hardware. That's fair. Hmm. Nintendo doesn't what everybody else does. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, they do. At any rate, um, we're, we're getting to the end of this episode. We're, we're running along with all these good chats. So we're going to round things out, I think, with our last listener mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, which comes from Gerald, who is another uh, European listener. He's from uh, Austria. I'm telling you, Vienna. Telling you, big in Europe. Apparently, after COVID yeah, goes down, we should go on a years. European tour. We'll have to go do a, a world tour. A world tour. Really. Very random of us. <laughs> when we're allowed to again. <laughs> uh, at any rate, um, yeah, Gerald's a podcast listener, and he's uh, answering the fact that I f- keep asking people to. To, to talk to us so uh, he finally got around and apparently this is his first fan mail I'm not sure if this is Gerald's first fan mail ever or just the first fan mail to us either way I'm grateful to have it so thank you Gerald for taking that step um, it's good to hear that you've been listening to us for ages you go through random and retro encounter a lot on uh, your cruises as he says with his little his son and his baby buggy so while his kid's sleeping and getting him to sleep while he's doing his walks he's been taking part of random and retro um and he checks the site on a daily basis and as with i think most people uh the biggest thing he comes to the podcast for and our website for is that uh, a lot of the episodes make him want to buy the game (laughs) that he hears about so uh yeah we as it seems to be the theme with the other reader emails we've gotten today yeah there's usually a trip quick trip to the uh, the e-shop or the psn store or wherever your local collection shop is after listening to uh, an episode of random or retro encounter for that matter um and also, he uh, has also gotten into the Trail series because of this. And again, we're sorry for uh, your time <laughs> that is now gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise, he enjoys going down memory lane with uh, a lot of our episodes, i.e. when we were talking about Saga. Uh, apparently, he's someone who wants to talk Saga Frontier with Pat. So there was an audience for you, Pat. There you go. Someone appreciated you bringing up Saga Frontier. Um, <laughs> and I'm guessing there's a lot of that Breath Retro as well. 
Yeah. Whereas uh, Jono uh, need not apply, apparently. <laughs> no, I'm happily excluded from that party. Uh, he also loves hearing episodes with Gwen on it when she talks Pokemon, which uh, we were talking in the pre-show with the recent release of the expansion. Gwen actually did play that. Uh, I have not yet, so um, I think we'll need to get Alana on here and they can chat about that uh, expansion. Maybe Peter will make time for us as well because I know he was playing it too. So if we can get some people come on here and get Gwen back on the episode. And John, you haven't chatted with Gwen yet either. So, uh, yeah, I think it's time for her to make a return. And now with Summer being here, she's home and free, not doing homeschool. So that can happen. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he loves the episodes that we talk about whole franchises with such knowledge. Again, it seems to be the theme to bring up those features. We have a ton of features from... um, As Steph brought up on the last episode you and I were on... That there seems to be someone at the site for like each franchise. Mm. We have like an expert for each one. So yeah, they, they all have something to say generally when they're on here. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, he just brings up some issues he's had with the past podcasts episodes where as a non-native English speaker, it can be hard to when the volume levels and everything are all over the place. So I'm hoping that since I've gotten everybody recording individually, that has helped with balancing levels and people can understand things a bit more clearly now with less lag and stuff. And he was uh, bringing up some stuff that hopefully in our um, impending uh, site upgrades will be a lot easier to search through episodes for um, specific game coverage and stuff, which you can kind of do right now, but it's a little clunky on the website as it is. Oh, just you and wait. I think it's going to be easier, yeah, um, we, when we do a conversion because we've got a whole lot of work going behind the scenes. So there'll be more on that in the, the coming future. But uh, yeah, there's some some good reshaping that Mike Salbato and his team of assistant minions who have stepped in with him um, are uh, putting into the the site so yeah he has no questions for us just uh keep doing what we're doing and it's what he feels is which i think is hard praise for all of us at rpg fan it's the only place he goes to for good reviews and honest opinions and the podcast is the only thing when where he can listen to people who are also passionate about rpgs that's really nice to hear thank you right uh, oh his ps2 was cover the new brigandine game which i don't know if you were one of the ones gerald who applied to win the new brigandine game i hope you did and i hope you won i'm not sure but i know all that just went out and got announced so um otherwise the coverage is there that review went live last week i think while i was on vacation hmm. uh so yeah it's there now gerald go check it out <laughs> yeah and that was that that was all our listener mail thank you so much that was a delight to have a bunch it um, really was we would love to have some more yeah in future episodes, we'll space them out a bit more, so it's not so much. Uh, but it was nice getting it all at once and just having some fun discussion to talk about. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and yes, like John says, give us more. You can do that podcast at RPGFan.com. You can also find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at RPGFan.com. Check out our Twitch stream uh, where Scott kind of helms things with Cat uh, and Kyle and Max occasionally on there as well. And I think Caitlin moonlights every once in a while as well, so... We got peeps there playing some fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, we have other podcasts. We've got Retro Encounter, which is coming up. I recently revisited uh, my Trials of Mana save and went through the post game because Solosi and I jawed about that for an upcoming episode of Retro Encounter. So check that out. And we also have our Rhythm Encounter episodes if you want to go listen to some some backlog of, of old video game music stuff that we talked about. I've been doing that lately, actually. You have? Yeah, I've, I listened to some... Getting up to speed? Yeah, well, not even getting up to speed. I occasionally listen to it, but I've just, I just thought, you know what, I really want to get into this. And I've actually heard some amazing music from uh, a variety of different games. I highly recommend it. 
It's not just mm-hmm. talking about, like, if you've never listened to it before, it's not just talking about music. You actually get to hear the music, and that's really cool. Also, yeah. also I've been listening to later episodes. Caitlin is a phenomenal host. She, yeah, she was a great, doing a great job with that. Like, her and Mike yeah. really, like, their passion came out. And, I mean, all the hosts were very passionate about music. But, yeah, Caitlin did a great job when she picked it up. And it was just, yeah, it's such a joy to listen to and to discover a bunch of different music because a lot of time for myself too, I was only limited to the series I was playing and there's plenty of other series that I was missing out on. So yeah, it opens you up to some new and exciting stuff that you may not usually find in your wheelhouse. And then lastly, we've got Hat and Eric who regularly host uh, the Phoenix Edge podcast. So please go check them out, watch their live podcast uh, stream on YouTube and uh, you know, pop in and say hi to them, see what they're talking about. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for listening to us, everybody. I mean, I know it was a lot of just Jono and I talking, but hopefully we're still, you know, entertaining. You don't want to don't want to replace us just yet. Nope. Maybe. I don't know. Got plenty of other good people in the wings if we had to, I suppose. Joe did do a good job, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> really lighting a fire under our butts. We got to step yeah, exactly. up. Right? Uh, anyways, which Joe will never admit to themselves. The always downplay, but no, Joe did a great job once again and everybody else on that episode just great discussion thank you so much and listeners thank you so much for continuing to be here and giving us something to do uh until the next episode uh cheers cheers have a good day or night or evening whatever that's a nice uh uh awkward ending perfect for us (laughs) okay i'll shut her down yeah never know how to shut up apparently